because I don't do this very often. Okay? Is that all right? We'll see how this goes. I've not, I don't know. Kingdom. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to continue our series on Invisible Kingdom. Uh, I heard Brent did a great job last week. Woo! Brent, yeah, we love, and I appreciate the fact that I, I could step away for a little bit and not feel like it's a big drop in what's happening here, so he does a great job. So here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the invisible kingdom, um, and that something big is happening, and, and the something big that is happening, we talked for the first part of this series, it's actually a two-part series, something big is happening, and then part two is be a part. The first part of that series, we, we, we talked about things like there is the reality of an invisible kingdom that Jesus constantly was talking about. And any time you read through scriptures, one of the things that you see right away is the reality of a kingdom that Jesus is defining, describing, uh, alluding to, talking about, and its activity in our everyday lives. I mean, he's talking about that constantly, this reality. Another thing we talked about was that Jesus, as the person, the Son of God, is the king of that invisible kingdom. He's the ruler. And so sooner or later, we need to figure that out, hopefully sooner, because it says in Scripture that at one point or at some point, every knee is going to bow and confess him as Lord. So it's not a matter whether you agree with it or not. It's just one of those things that it's easier if you choose to understand it now than it is later because it doesn't always go as well. Okay, does that make sense? He's the ruler. Uh, The third thing is, so the reality, the ruler, notice there's some R's going here is that we have a responsibility in this kingdom. And that's really this whole part of this series. We're talking about some of those responsibilities. And then the fourth part is there's a reward. So, so we talked about all those different things in, re, in light of this invisible kingdom that God is being a, wants us to be a part of, which then leads us to the second part, which is be a part of it. That, that somehow it's not just something big is happening, that it's realizing that something is happening big, and it's engaging personally and corporately and what God is doing through this invisible kingdom that he has set up. So the last couple weeks, we, we've talked about what it means to be a part of it, to be a part of it. You know, not just to kind of walk through the motions of some far-off thing over here, but to understand that this is very real and tangible and something that I personally am a part of and have an opportunity to be a part of. And for a lot of times, uh, for a lot of us, it, it's a little difficult because, and here's why, it's invisible in a lot of ways. <laughs> you know, there's, it's invisible, so to see it in, in real-time life, it's sometimes hard. But at the same time, it's very tangible. So, and so the be a part of it side of it is, is, is that. So we talked about being like Jesus. That was week one, that we would be on the same team, be of the same mind, be of the same heart. Brent talked about being mission-minded. And, uh, and that's huge in this whole idea of being part of this thing, that we would be a part of an invisible kingdom, is living with the same goal as Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus' goal was pretty simple, to seek and save the lost. That was his goal. I mean, he, he came for pretty much one reason. He was going to come and try to restore a relationship with a broken people. And, and so if that's the case, I need to understand that I need to be a part of that. And that's mission-mindedness, that I realize that's the big one. And so we talked about that. It's the driving force behind everything we do in the kingdom. Then we have a key text, and I think we have it. Throw it up. It might, it's in your handout as well. It says, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live 
righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And so this idea of living this thing out, not just knowing about something, not just, hey, there's something way over there and I know it, but there's something actively happening in me and I'm part of this thing that goes beyond just mere head knowledge, which I think a lot of times gets in the way because we, we confuse knowledge with actually doing, okay, or living it out. Um, so being a part of this invisible kingdom is not just knowing all the rules or the history of the kingdom. Instead, today... Being part of the invisible kingdom is learning to be compassionate. Learning to be compassionate by allowing compassion to flow through us. Compassion. Now, real quickly, what is compassion? Let's just get a definition out there. What is compassion? It is a form of love. That's what it is. It's a form of love that is stirred or moves or or causes. There's something that happens in us. That this compassion thing does, that stirs within us when we are confronted with those who are in need or are suffering. All right? That's, so it's, something happens. I, I come in contact with somebody that's hurting or somebody that's in need or something that's just not right, maybe, or it's not fair. And, and there's something that stirs in me that says, man, there has to be something done about that, which then leads to the second part of the definition is that compassion often moves us moves us to action to alleviate the suffering. And so this compassion thing is something that starts within us that stirs, but hopefully it's not just a stirring that makes me feel a certain way, it makes me do something. That it stirs me to action, it moves me to action. So that's a definition. Now I realize whenever I talk about this uh, idea of compassion and a place of compassion in, the, in my own personal journey of Christ, and, and can I just be blankly honest, I know I still have some ways to go on this. I, I realize that, that I, don't, I don't have the corner on this. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sit up here and think, man, I've figured out how to be compassionate because if anything, I'm probably sitting up here going, man, Lord, help me to be compassionate. Help me to have that compassion in me. And, and, it's, and it's still something that is needing to be developed and grown in me as a person. And so I just want us all to know on the same page, this is something that needs to continually be developed in who we are. You know, my, and I just wrote my notes here. My sinful tendency or my sinful nature is still selfish. And so compassion, there's a battle that kind of goes on there. You know, and then I, I, I try to think of the greatest times in my life that I've experienced compassion. When, when is the greatest time? And I... And, from, and a lot of you know me and Jennifer, and we've, you know, we've went through some stuff, and, and, and we, our oldest daughter, which, by the way, her birthday was this past week, and so that's always kind of a weird time. She was killed in a car accident, um, now, what, 12 years now? 12 years. And uh, during the funeral, w- w- the week of the accident, and when she died, we found out that the insurance that we thought we had, we didn't have. I mean, so, so not only did our daughter you know, die in a tragic car accident at age 16, and we're dealing with that, we find out that we have no way to pay for any of the funeral stuff. We have, we have zero. I mean, we don't have, I mean, it's not like we have thousands of dollars sitting around that we can just do this. And, and I don't know if you've been a part of anything like that. It's fairly expensive, you know, to pull this off. And, and, and so we, I mean, it's just like, okay, whatever. You know, I don't know what to do about it. And we start going through the whole process. And in the middle of this, um, and the people that did this, I, 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 they're, they're just compassionate people. They didn't know that we didn't have insurance, by the way. 
out of the blue, I mean, just out of the blue, they sent us a check for $10,000 to help with any of the cost. And I, I mean, I, I look back on that, I think, you know what, that was compassion because that was like a breath of fresh air in a really, really difficult, dark time. You know, and you, and you look back on those moments and you go, man, that was probably compassion in full blow right there. I mean, it was happening. You know, somebody, they didn't have to do that. I mean, they liked us, but they, I don't know if they loved us. We weren't part of their family. We, we just knew them, you know, and they knew who we were. And so, I mean, just, you know, so I was just thinking of my own life. And maybe in your own life you have some stories just like that, but that's all I did of compassion. So, you know, again, still, we still have some distance to go. And here, here's some of the things I think kind of join us together around this is we tend to view compassion as something we do, not something we are. That's really a lot of it, isn't it? That we, we have this thought that something it's going to do. Like today, we're doing one day to feed the world. We did compassion. But the reality of what God is looking for us in being part of the kingdom isn't. Am I all right? Uh, but it's something we are. And it's that be part of it. Here, here's another one is that we tend to view, view compassion as a should instead of a I get to. I should do that. You know, which I don't know about you, but I hate having to have that sense that I have to do something. I have to be nice to somebody because I have to be nice to them. I want to be nice to them because I want to be nice. Does that make sense? You know? But sometimes the reality is, is that compassion sometimes feels like a should of or should instead of I get to. And, and, and that's not really what I think it means to be a part of the invisible kingdom that God wants us to be a part of. It should be more natural, a flow of who we are than something I have to force myself to do, all right? Here, here's, here's another one, is we tend to focus on token acts of compassion and wrongly conclude them to be true compassion. We tend to, we tend to do things where we kind of throw something out there as, a, you know, and I'm not dogging in any shape or form on the Salvation Art people, you know, we throw something in the bucket, and we call that compassion. And it is in some shape and form, it's very real and it's tangible, and it is, but I think compassion has a very deep thing about it, doesn't it? That somehow it's more than that. It's more than just going up and throwing a couple coins in and say, okay, I did that. There's something more to it. And so just some thoughts as I was processing it. So I want to look at Luke chapter 10 today. Luke chapter 10. And Jesus is, is teaching his disciples, and he's teaching those that he interacts with, and he's constantly doing this thing where he's sharing with them this invisible kingdom idea in the context of where they live and what's going on. And so he's having these conversations, and this one is actually with the religious law leader expert, if you will, and so with church person, with a religious person. And so, and he has, and he throws out this personal goal for the invisible kingdom. Check out Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through, uh, I think it's 28, I think. Uh, one day it says, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And really what he was kind of asking is like, how does this invisible kingdom that you keep talking about really work in my life? Okay, how's this, how's this played out? And he goes on, and Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? He, so he asks him a question, and he, and he comes back and says, okay, you, you tell me. I have an idea that you, you already have a perception of what's going on here. What does this law of Moses say? How do you read it? 
The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, right, he says, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, uh, so actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, he's kind of wanting to get a qualification on this. It's like, okay, I got the answer right. Now kind of, you know, who are we talking about? Are we talking about her? Because I don't know about that, you know. I mean, it's, you know, and he's trying to define it or put some parameters around it. And, and so Jesus, he, he's up to it. He already knows what's going on. And so what happens in this little instance of what Jesus is talking about is this, is we get a glimpse into the one main goal of the invisible kingdom and, and what it means for the subjects of the kingdom, what we should be about. And here's what it is. It's, I think it's your fill in the blank there. And it connects back to living righteously. Live righteously by learning to love well. Learning to love well. If, if you were to try to sum up for one, in one statement, what is the goal of being a follower of Christ? It would be that, to learn to love well. To learn to love my God well and to learn to love others well. To somehow figure out what it means to truly love God. And by the way, if you think about what it means to love God, it, mean, it has things like trust, you know, obedience, you know, sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to do all those things. That's in relationship to God. God, I'm, I'm yours. I'm, I belong to you. And I'm going to truly try to figure out what it means to love well. In relationship to one another, that I'm going to have compassion. And I'm going to love those around me the way God wants me to love. And, and really is what he's saying. He said, here's the deal. If I want to sum it all up, it, it means this. Learn to love well. Learn what it means to really love people and love your God with passion and compassion. And, and so that's what he's throwing out there. So the expert, he's probing for an answer to what it means to be a part of this invisible kingdom. And being a part of the invisible kingdom has this simple foundation. Love God and love your neighbor. Easier said than done, right? Come on. <laughs> Easier said than done. I mean, and, and I think a lot of us are in this text of Scripture more quickly than what we'd like to admit. Because a lot of us are doing that thing. He doesn't mean that person too, does he? He doesn't mean my neighbor there. And by the way, look straight ahead right now. Don't look to the person next to you. I'm just focus. It's, he's not talking about that because the, the, the question of the, the religious leader, he's, he's saying, hey, um, who are we really talking about here? Who is this encompass? I mean, who is my neighbor? You know, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Love God, I get that. You know, let's, let's love God. I, I'm all over that. But love my neighbor? I don't know, man. That's, you're getting into some deep water here. I don't know about what that means. And so Jesus takes him further on this whole process. And by the way, here's an interesting thing about the religious leader or this expert. Is that he wanted a checklist not to be something. He wanted to be able to check a list, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this. Instead of, Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be something. He, he wasn't saying, do compassion, be compassion. Be this part of who, who he calls us to be. So, the, so that Jesus goes on, and he begins to give him a lesson. And the lesson goes like this, a lesson from Jesus about being compassionate, verses uh, 30 through 32. It says, Jesus replied with this story. By the way, he always taught in stories. A Jewish man 
was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. By the way, the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was this treacherous going through these different little canyon-type areas, and and it was pretty jagged, and it was a descent. And so it it was kind of a, a great place to get held up or jumped, if you will, by a bunch of bandits. And so it goes on, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead. Here's the, here's the picture of a man that's traveling by himself, which probably wasn't the wisest thing in the world. Matter of fact, it was probably dumb. It was one of those things where he had no business being there by himself because everybody knew, hey, the bandits hang out and they prey on people that walk by themselves. So the guy might not have been the sharpest knife in the drawer. It, it, it probably wasn't happening. Right? And, and so, but he's saying it's a Jewish guy. You know, he's got, there's something about him. And he was stripped of his clothes, beaten up, and left half dead beside the road. Okay, so you just got to get this picture of a naked guy, bruised, beaten, bloody, messed up on the side of the road. And then, he, and then here's what happens by chance, which, by the way, a lot of times compassion happens that way. Compassion opportunities are, it just all of a sudden it's before me. What am I going to do? So all of a sudden, it's in front of me. What am I going to do? How am I going to react to this situation? Because right now, God wants me to be compassionate, and I need to be in the place that he can use me. And he goes on, he says, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And so here's what the priest did that really was kind of messed up. He avoided compassion. Matter of fact, he rationalized it away. He rationalized it away because what he did is he began to say, you know what, if I go over there and that guy's dead and I touch him, then I'm going to be impure and it's going to, work, it's going to ruin my job. It's going to mess all these different things that are going on. This is going to be a real inconvenience. It's better off if I just walk on by. And so he had avoidance to compassion and he had rationalization to not being a part of it. In other words, he came up with a mental list in his mind why I don't have to be a part of it. Sound like anything we ever do? And so he went through this process, and so that's what he did, all right? So Jesus continues to tell the story, and it says, A temple assistant walked over and looked at him, and so this is a guy that works in the church. He's part of what's going on in the, in the temple. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. This guy blows my mind, because this is what I'm thinking. He steps over, and he looks at him and goes, Dude, you must have got kicked hard. You know, he's looking around, whoo, man, you're, that's going to be hard to recover for. You probably won't make it. Man, it sucks to be you. <laughs> and he looked at it and looked at him and walked by. That's, it blows me away that he walked over, stood there, and looked at it and walked away. Whereas the other guy, he's just trying to avoid it, man. He's just, I mean, he's just getting out of there. And so here's, here's an interesting thing about this temple assistant. Is that sometimes we think that compassion is us just getting a really, really good grasp on what is really messed up. That's compassion. It's not. You just became a critic. You just became a person that has all the understanding of why these things are all messed up and how these things are going on. You had no compassion at all, and you were like the temple assistant. Like, wow, that's kind of wild. So... So then, so here's some practical observations about being compassionate. And this is kind of right from these texts that we just read here. First one is there, this. There are a lot of hurting people in the world. 
There's a lot of hurting people in the world. Life happens. The typhoon that hit the Philippines last week, there's a lot of hurting people there. The kids that we're trying to help through one day to feed the world, life happens. There's a lot of hurting people there. And, and, and here's, here's what I was thinking about this, that the world, there's a lot of beaten and bruised, naked along the side of the road people. Is the, there's a lot of people out there wondering, does God care at all? Does God see me? Does God understand my situation? Does, man, I, I'm really struggling. Man, I, life has dealt me a blow here. Do, does, does God care at all? Does anyone care? I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there like that. Matter of fact, here's, here's what I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess even here today, there's hurting people. I'm going to guess today that even in this room right now, in the situation or the circumstances or whatever your life situation is, there's a very, very good chance that there's hurting people in this room. Life's dealt you some hard cards. You've been jumped by bandits, so to speak, on a life. And there's a lot of hurting people in the world. Matter of fact, they're all around us. I don't think you have to look very far to find hurting people. Matter of fact, I don't even think you have to look at all. If you know somebody, they're probably a good chance at some point they're hurting, right? Here's another observation. If you see someone in a ditch, do something, right? Go and help the best you can. If you see someone in a ditch, do something. Here's another one. Is that knowledge of love is never to become a substitute for showing love. Can I just meddle a little bit here? There's a weird thing that happens when Christians, and if you're still exploring faith and you're trying to figure this out, I just kind of listen and observe for a moment here. There's an interesting thing that happens when you become a Christian, that after a while you begin to insert knowledge about God for action or faith and walking with God. It's a weird thing. It's a religious thing. In other words, I, I, I confuse the, the mental idea of Love, and I confuse the mental idea of compassion and faith and all those things because I have this mental understanding of it. In other words, I can, I can build the formula, so to speak, that I can put all those pieces together. And in doing that, I actually begin to substitute that knowledge for the action of actually doing it, which then totally removes me from compassion. And so I, I, I'm faced with the same religious challenge that the the the. Pharisee was in the story or the, the religious leader that walked by on the other side. He knew compassion. He knew the God of compassion of the Old Testament. He knew all about that, but yet somehow, some way, he had substituted his knowledge of that for the action of doing that. So can I just throw out a challenge for you? Maybe you've been doing this thing for a while and you've been substituting. It's to, it needs to stop being a substitution and action needs to start. Okay. Last thing and is don't ever base your compassion on perceived worthiness. In other words, compassion is never to be based on what we think they deserve. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> yeah, they're such a stupid idiot. They shouldn't have been walking down the road at that time of day and by themselves. They deserve it. Well, man, if they'd go and work harder... They wouldn't be in that situation. You know, and we've got all these things. And, and, I, and I'm just being honest here. 
I've done this once. <laughs> I've done this a lot. Where I've judged somebody to determine whether or not I should be compassionate. Where I've looked at their situation and deemed whether or not they were worthy of compassion. And the truth is, is that I should never, ever base my compassion on their perceived worthiness. I should never become the judge or try to figure out they deserve it at all. Because here's why. Compassion is not based on what I deserve. Compassion is based on what I need. So here's the deal. Just like God towards us, Right? Just like God towards us, that he has shown compassion and grace. And I was trying to think about it. You know, there's been many times in my life, like I shared before with our death of our daughter and the pain of that thing. I didn't, I couldn't stand up and say, man, we deserve that. Not remotely. Just like we can't stand up before God and say, God, we deserve your grace. We deserve your compassion. We deserve your love. We deserve that. It's in the same category. And so I have to understand that I can never base my compassion on the perceived worthiness of a person. That has nothing to do with it. It's all based on need. So here's the example. As I try to wrap this up. The example of being compassionate. Luke, the, the next few verses. Then it, then it goes on. So, so, you know, he's telling the story. He said, then a despised Samaritan came, came along, which were like the, the people on the other side of the tracks that no, no Jewish person would even interact with. All right? So then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt what? Compassion. He felt it. There was a stirring of love in his heart that was doing something, that was moving upon him because he seen and recognized the need of suffering in this person. And because of that, it was moving upon him to somehow move to action to alleviate the suffering. It goes on, it says that he, he felt compassion for him, Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Jesus starts, goes back to the man he's having the conversation with. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And so he, he, he's getting in there. So here's three steps to being compassionate. Three steps. First one is this. If I'm going to be compassionate, I believe God is wanting us to be this, is that I need to be a forgiver. Be a forgiver. When the Samaritan walked over. Somehow he probably knew. There's a very good chance this was a Jewish guy or maybe he knew he was somehow. He went over to him. In that moment, he wasn't passing judgment. He was giving forgiveness. In that moment, he wasn't sitting there going, you know what? This guy deserves this. He, 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 who knows? He's probably some idiot. <laughs> he deserves exactly what he's getting. But instead, he walks over and he determines that the man deserves grace forgiveness and he moves that way and, he, and, he, and I, I was thinking about this way if he knew somehow that some way he was a Jewish person he, he would have been saying in his heart by going over to him I forgive you for being a hater I forgive you for being so selfish I forgive you for being so arrogant I forgive you for treating my people the way you've treated me I forgive you 
And see, compassion always starts with forgiveness. Compassion always starts with, I forgive you. I, 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 I pour out grace upon your life. I pour out what you don't deserve. That's not what it's about. I forgive you. So who you might have in your life that needs compassion, it might need to start right there. I forgive you. Second one is this. Be a healer. Just prior to the Samaritan story, Jesus sent the 72 disciples out. If you go back in chapter 10 and read it, he sent the disciples out. And you know what he just sent the disciples out to do? Heal the sick. Heal the sick. Heal the sick. And proclaim the kingdom. Because the message of heaven is to be accompanied by those who bring healing. See, the message of heaven, when people are saying, does God care? Does anybody care? There needs to be somebody that's willing, first of all, to step out and say, I forgive you. But there also needs to be somebody that steps up and says, you know what? I will be a part of your healing. Because at that point, I become the message alive. I become the message of Jesus in visible, physical realm. I'm stepping into this situation, and I say, I'm going to be a healer. That's what God wants you and I to do, to be a healer. Notice that the, what the Samaritan did. It says that he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and banished them. He took care of him, put him on his own donkey, all those things. Just a few thoughts. Have you ever been wounded or bruised by life and someone came along and gently helped you? You know what it feels like. You know what it feels like to be healed by somebody. You know, this last week I... I love Pat. I don't know if Pat's in here right now. Pat, are you in here right now? Yeah. And I don't usually ever call anybody out, but I'm going to call Pat out on this because it's worthy of calling out. Is that I've been, you know, this whole shoulder surgery thing has kind of kicked my tail. I mean, I, to be very honest with you, I've been discouraged. I've been kind of feeling defeated, and, you know, because, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't do the things I normally do. Pat calls me this week, and I'm kind of coming out of my surgery whatever thing, you know, my drug-induced <laughs> thing. And, and I, I just told him, I said, man, I've I, I just been struggling with the, the three Ds, you know, discouragement, you know, defeat, and depression. And Pat just begins to soothe the wound. Doesn't even know he does it sometimes. He just starts to encourage. And in that moment, he became a healer. In that moment, just a simple 20-minute conversation on a phone call brought me out of a pretty dark place for a while. You know what I'm talking about? Sorry. Now I'm getting emotional. No, I'm not on drugs. <laughs> you know, that God would use somebody like that to be a healer. And see, sometimes we think it's some big healing thing that we do, and sometimes it's so much less than that. It's just, I'm going to soothe the wound. I'm going to bandage. I'm going to try to help not, you not to get infected by what's going on. By the way, the oil and the wine really had to do with, one of them had to do with soothing, you know, making the pain go away. And, and the wine was actually a disinfectant type thing. That was what was going on there. So maybe, maybe you've had that happen to you. My guess is there, is there is someone in each of our lives that needs some healing, and maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional, relational, or spiritual. 
Will you be compassionate to soothe the wound? Will you be the healer to bring opportunity for full recovery? Will you help to keep them keep out the infections? Will you help them find refreshing in the midst of their suffering? So compassion works to see the hurting and the broken completely restored. It might take some effort and time. It might take some patience and persistence. It might be more than a token gesture, which was all in that story. But you become a healer. That's what it means to be compassionate. First, I forgive. Second, I heal. The last one is this, is I be a provider. He handed the innkeeper two silver coins. By the way, two silver coins, you're like, that's not very much. (laughs) Two silver coins, come on. Here's what it was. It was two months worth of stay at the inn. Can you imagine doing that for somebody right now? Say, hey, go down to the Holiday Inn Express over there by Walmart, and I got you covered for the next two months. (laughs) Right? And then to say on top of that, hey, if there's anything else or if there's any more, I'll pay you more when I get back. There was something he was providing for something. See, the Samaritan paid the debt so that the man would not have to be a slave to the innkeeper. Because that's kind of how it usually happened. If you had a debt, you became that person's slave. Compassion pays for those who can't pay. In the process of providing, you help to bring freedom. Can you? Do you have within your means the ability to free someone? Can you give something away to make a way for someone? Hey, here's how we're going to close. We're going we're to do our one day to feed the world offering right now. Okay? We're going to do this. We're, just gonna make, we're not going to just talk about it. We're going to do it. And, and we did this on purpose. And say we're going to go close our service by responding to compassion to those that are hurting, namely those that are being fed. And by the way, one day of the world... One Day to Feed the World right now does about 120,000 kids a day worldwide. Read through the little brochure thing there. It's amazing what's happening, and we can be a part of it. Jennifer and I, we do it every year. You know, I, I, you know we, we wrote our check this morning, said, hey, we're going to go for it. And by the way, here's, I just want to throw out a double challenge, because in the offering, the regular tithe and offering at the end of the service, we want to give you an opportunity to help for the disaster relief if you want to. And so we're doing both. We're just going to do both. Um, so we're not going to just go to church today. We're going to be the church. And so uh, let me show this video, and then we'll receive the offering. Okay? Let's do that. When I was a kid, I dreamed of playing in the big leagues. But as I grew up, I saw that God had other plans for me, the kind of plans that led my brothers and I to establish Convoy of Hope, a faith-based compassion organization that's feeding 125,000 children. One of those children, Mark Phillip, lives with his family in one of the most impoverished communities in Manila. Though he lives in a very desperate place, he's full of big dreams. When I come home, from school, I help my mother in chores in our house, and then I prepare for the things that I will need next day. I 
study my lessons after I prepare the things for tomorrow. I work so hard for my future because I want to be a computer engineer so I will work hard. I'm not hungry every day because of the supplies that came from Convoy of Hope. And I don't experience hard event that I experienced at the past. I have a good life and I have uh, support from the Convoy of Hope. I'm Mark Philip, and when I grow up, I want to be a computer engineer. Today, Mark Philip is dreaming big dreams thanks to people like you who across the nation are participating in Convoy of Hope's One Day to Feed the World. Please know this, you're also helping Convoy of Hope dream big dreams because we need to add thousands and thousands more children to our feeding initiative each year, which means adding more kids like Mark Phillip. Feeding kids not only helps them learn better and dream bigger, it also opens the door for us to tell them about Jesus. You see, your one day, it transforms their every day. Thank you for going above and beyond your tithe and dreaming big dreams with us. So let's go ahead. This morning, I just encourage you to give big, give aggressively as the guys receive the One Day to Feed the World offering. And hopefully we'll be able to tally up some of it uh, over the course of the services this morning. We'll definitely let you know next week what we did, making it happen. Isn't that cool? The worship team's going to come and uh, take us into a, a response time, re worship response time. So uh, I guess uh, prepare your hearts. Well, I'm kind of messing things up today, aren't I? I didn't give you guys any heads up or anything. So. You guys want to go ahead and stand with us?